everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Heroes of Olympus, The Lost Hero, with chapters 21 through 24, I believe. How are you doing today, Jacqueline? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm I'm slowly recovering from my illnesses and ailments. Uh... Uh, so which means I should sound slightly better than I did, I think, last episode. You're a little uh, bit how... croaky. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a, that's a n- nice... <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I think I'm going to be on my A game today. I think I am, I'm, like, going to ascend to a new level of children's book analysis. Oh, yeah? I spent most of the day deep cleaning my bathroom, which means that I have been in an enclosed space with, like, bleach fumes. Uh-huh. So, like, I'm thinking the brain damage is really gonna, like, gonna unlock some new neural pathways for me. You know, Jane, you're not supposed to mix the bleach and the ammonia. <laughs> like, I, I know that it's very tempting to. I don't know what you're talking about. I feel absolutely neef. You know, Jane is, pulling, is feeling pretty knife right now, so I think uh, I will... You very graciously ask her, since she's feeling perfectly fine, to just, you know... Uh, give us the summaries. Of course. Chapter 21. Piper. Back on the dragon, Piper internally angsts about the upcoming betrayal of her friends, as well as worrying about Jason's origin. Boreas's transformation has made it harder than ever to ignore that something is very different about him compared to the other demigods. She also thinks about Coach Hedge and how his hard-ass teaching style may, in retrospect, have been an attempt to train her and the other demigods up to handle situations like this. For a moment, she finds herself hoping she can save him, before remembering that she's going to have to stab Leo and Jason in the back before that happens. She flashes back to a night with her dad, when he took her to visit their childhood home. They pick out constellations together before her dad told her that her grandfather Tom always said that Greek constellations were bullshit and the stars are actually creatures with glowing fur like magic hedgehogs. Talking about Cherokee beliefs prompts Piper to ask her dad why he never takes Native American roles. He replies that he prefers to pretend to be something he isn't. Piper comes back to the present and wishes that she was able to pretend to be someone else so easily, before falling asleep against Jason's chest. Enceladus appears in her dream and says her friends are doomed to die, but she can get out if she pulls the trigger and betrays them. He shows her a location, a city in a valley that Piper seems to know, and tells her to come here. If she kills her friends beforehand, or brings them there for Enceladus to deal with in person, she can have her dad back. Piper tries to be defiant, and the giant replies that he was once as proud as her, and that the defeat the gods gave him has since humbled him. He will do the same thing to her if she doesn't watch her tone. Piper wakes up and finds to her shock that she's plummeting through the air, and Festus is nowhere to be seen. Chapter 22. Piper. Thankfully, Jason is able to catch Piper and Leo, but they can't get back to Festus before he smashes into the ground at terminal velocity. Jason tries to land smoothly, but carrying three people is a little beyond his powers, and they crash through a warehouse roof, with Piper cleanly breaking her ankle on impact. Leo and Jason fare better and patch her up by feeding her ambrosia and setting the wound. We hear some more about Leo's magic tool belt. Apparently, it can summon pretty much any small non-magical item on demand and bigger stuff if he gives it enough time between each ask. After all this, Piper is finally able to ask what the hell happened, and Leo explains that Festus seemed to hit some kind of invisible wall around Detroit and then it knocked him out cold. 
The warehouse's graffitied logo reads Monocle Motors, so they've clearly crashed into one of the city's disused car factories. Piper begins to fear that Enceladus might have been the one who did this to Festus, and comes within a breath of telling Leo and Jason everything, but can't quite do it. Leo heads off and finds Festus's crash site, while Jason keeps an eye on Piper. Jason tells her about the photo of Thalia, much to Piper's relief. A noise comes from elsewhere in the warehouse, and Jason goes to check it out. After a few minutes, Piper calls out to him, and his voice calls back to her, before coming closer and revealing that it's coming from a cyclops, the proprietor of Monocle Motors. Chapter 23. Leo. Leo, meanwhile, is picking through a puddle of toilet chemicals and poo because Festus dive-bombed a row of porta-potties. Leo is frustrated that he can't figure out what's wrong with Festus before cracking open the dragon's head and seeing that the wiring is now frozen solid. It's also completely fucked the control disc, which wasn't looking too great to begin with. Leo tries to fix it with tools from his belt while flashing, ba- while flashing back to how powerless he felt in Boreas's palace, and how being left out there plays into his overarching fear of rejection. He thinks that Piper and Jason getting back together will just lead to him third-wheeling in the friend group, which he's dreading. He's also worried about a line from the Great Prophecy, to storm or fire the world must fall. Leo is worried that he's the fire the prophecy mentions. Unfortunately, his work is interrupted by a voice, the voice of the earthen woman who forced him to kill his mother. This time, she's appeared in a puddle of what is presumably urine as she tells Leo that his friends won't reject him. In fact, they need him desperately in order to defeat her. However, she encourages him to walk away now and allow her son Porphyrion to rise. Leo replies by throwing a charred toilet seat at her, and she vanishes. Then, a loud noise comes from the factory. Leo, more determined than ever to stand by his friends, pulls a hammer out of his tool belt and heads in. Chapter 24. Leo. Leo stays out of sight and finds Piper and Jason strung up above a roaring fire, surrounded by three cyclopes. The brothers Tork and Sump, as well as their mother, Mar Gasket. Jason is out cold with a serious-looking head wound, while Piper is desperately trying to charm-speak the Cyclopes into letting them go unsuccessfully. Gasket mentions that unlike other Cyclopes who get turned out onto the street like Tyson, she kept Tork and Sump and raised them as her kids, and we get an impression that she's done that mainly so she can be shitty and abusive to them. She sends Sump off to a different warehouse to get her salsa to eat with Jason and Piper. She also mentions to Piper that she recently ate a different demigod, a son of Mercury who spoke Latin and had a purple t-shirt. Additionally, she lets slip that during the war, the northern Hyperborean Cyclopes, which is what they are, sided with Kronos, and used this plant to produce weapons for him, before going out of business when he lost. Unfortunately, at this point, Margasket spots Leo, but it's just in time for him to put his plan into action. While she was expositing to Piper, he had jury-rigged all the robots in the factory to respond to his commands, and uses them to brutally beat Tork to death, followed by Sump when he returns with a salsa. Margasket is much tougher, taking the hits from the robot arms with ease. She douses Leo with kerosene and tries to set him on fire, and Leo steps out of the flames while goading her into standing under a suspended engine block, and using a concentrated burst of fire to melt the chain and drop it on her head, killing her instantly. He unties Piper, who, much to Leo's surprise, isn't mad about his fire powers and is instead delighted. They untie Jason, but before they can rest too easy, they realise that the Cyclopes are already reforming themselves which is confusing because Annabeth told them that dead monsters go to Tartarus. It seems that, just as the Great Prophecy said, the realm may no longer be able to confine monsters. Leo and Piper grab Jason and run for it as the Cyclopes resurrect themselves, hungry for revenge. 
So, what do you think of these chapters? You know, up until the last chapter, I thought these were pretty good. Okay. And then the last chapter made them my favorite I've read in this book. If not, maybe one of our favorite sets we've ever done. Ooh. I I thought they were pretty good. I didn't think they were that good. I'm curious to hear why you think that. Specifically, and I guess I just want to talk about this immediately... It's because of something that I know we always talk about as having gotten more and more lacking as like, just like as these like various Rick Riordan mythology books go on, it's that the fight scenes aren't as good. And this is the best, one of the best fight scenes you've ever had. Oh, definitely. This is Leo versus the Cyclopes is perfect. And it's like, I don't know. It, it made me just like, I was jumping out of the, like out of my chair while I was reading it. I was so excited. It's really good. It's really well written. It, I, I was already coming around on Leo quite a lot. Uh, he is fucking stone cold in this fight. It's really he's cool. Like, he's like the fucking captain of the... He's like the decimating the Cyclopes with like robotics club style. And then fucking goading them so that he can like bludgeon them to death with engines. It's awesome. It's awesome. And like... First of all, like they're really well set up as antagonists. Mm-hmm. Like the way that the last Piper chapter ends, chapter 22, with like the slow realization that they are in a Cyclops factory. Uh like the the moment when like Jason calls out to her, I got this like this like crawling on the back of my like on the back of my neck like, "Oh, this feels like really familiar." Mm-hmm. And then just like Oh, she turns around. There's a fucking Cyclops. It was perfect. Like this is how you should reintroduce this kind of threat. And I, I, I don't know. Cyclops, they're Cyclopses, Cyclopes, Cyclopses. They were kind of like a joke to me since Sea of Monsters. Yeah, definitely. Uh, What's his face? The antagonist of that book was kind of shit. And Tyson has always been an ally, so there's never been a great sense of threat for them. Honestly, what this immediately made me think was like, oh, th- these are the Cyclopses that uh, Thalia, Luke, and Annabeth ran into. Ooh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Like, I don't know if that's true, but it just, like, it definitely at least parallels that quite a bit. Because I, it was either, like, an alleyway or a factory, but I wouldn't be surprised if we learn later on that this was, this was something, sim- like, something pretty similar, or, like, even directly related to that. Well, because it was also when they were pretty close to Camp Half-Blood that that happened, right? That is true. So that would have been pretty far north, and these these guys do specify that they are like a northern tribe of Cyclopes. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And this is, okay, like, tangenting before, like, going back to this entire amazing section. Like, we, I remember in Sea of Monsters, or, like, later on in the books, maybe, I think actually when we were in Poseidon's workshop... We were just, like, trying to puzzle out what the deal with the Cyclopes were. hmm And, like, we finally get, like, a proper delineation of all the categories here. Like, oh, there's the Elder Ones, and those are the, wor- the ones that work for Poseidon and Hephaestus and what have you. And then there's the, the Southern Ones, and they live on islands and eat sheep. And then there's the Northern Ones, and they participate in the economy. The, the Northern Ones are small business owners. The Southern Ones are all Florida men. Exactly. The Elder Ones, they're just like normal guys. <laughs> so is Tyson technically an Elder? Is he like an of the Elder Cyclopes? Uh, 
I don't know, because he was hanging around, like, he was hanging around in New York, so he might even be Hyperborean. That's possible. And at the same time, the guy, oh, what was his fucking name in I Sea of remember. Monsters? I should remember, because it's from mythology as well. Yeah. It's a very famous one. Um, Polyphemus. Polyphemus, that's it. Oh, it's because there's a character whose name is almost like that in these chapters, and that threw me off. Oh, uh, who is that? Uh, it's, um, Piss Lady's son, Porphyrion. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I forgot about that guy. Yeah, they have very similar naming, naming schemes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, um, Polyphemus also is like, oh, Tyson, you're, like, related to me. So, I'm not sure where Tyson ends up on the, like, triangle of what kind of Cyclops you can be. I, I think I think Tyson is Tyson. He gets his own corner. That's fair. Yeah, I, I I'm fine with that. <laughs> but yeah, like it's like you said, it's there's a lot of just like surprisingly brutal stuff in this chapters. It's not even just the like robotics engineer like the metal arms slamming Cyclops to dust. It's also like the scene where they have to set Piper's foot. Mm-hmm. This is not the kind of thing I expect to see in Percy Jackson. This is by far the most, like, brutal and visceral protagonist injury we've gotten in this series. Like, people have been hurt worse, but it's never been as, like, terrible to read about as here. It's, yeah, like, Piper's pain is so, like, realistic. Like, she's not gritting her teeth and forging through it for friendship or something like that. Like, no, she broke her ankle. She's fucking screaming. Yeah, her foot is, like, going the wrong direction. When Jason sets it, it just, like, this brought me back to, like, reading, like, Misery as a child. Like, hearing about the fucking, um, like, thinking, this this is, like, prime, like, like, seeing Leo get a piece of wood to, like, tape her foot to or whatever you do. Mm. And hearing jason just like oh then he set my foot and i like screamed so hard that i punched leo in the face <laughs> like that's or in the arm or almost the face like i don't there's something so ugh, like oh i have to read this through one hand like through my fingers yeah it's also just like it's much more difficult to abstract this because speaking personally i have never been like stabbed or stung by a magic scorpion i have sprained my ankle uh-huh. So I can just, like, conceive of, like, yeah, that, but a lot, a lot worse. Yeah, exactly. It is one of those things that maybe makes these books feel a little bit older than PGO so far, is that, like, they are a little bit more violent in that way. Yeah, we get, like, more violence, more, like, directly shown bullying. Mm-hmm. Um, like, more... It's 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 absolutely the, the darker cousin to the first series. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, I, it's not just that, though. It's not just, like, the brutality of it all that makes this fight scene really work for me. Leo comes off as such, like, a great hero here. Like, you're right, I became so endeared to him by this. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the, the dynamic with the first trio we got was Percy did action stuff, Annabeth tended to run support, and Grover would stand in the back screaming. Yeah. And so you kind of expect that to be the same dynamic here. Because, you know, Leo's a Hephaestus kid, he mostly does, like, tech support. 
but no, it turns out he can actually hold his own in the fight as well, and that's a really nice change. Not only that, but he's proven the most effective of them all. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> awesome when, like, it's awesome that Jason can flip a coin and turn it into a lance or whatever. The fact that in, like, five minutes, Leo can, like, jury-rig a fucking death machine and just start pounding Cyclopes into the dirt, that's, like, that's just... Uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. If they had taken Leo to Polyphemus's island, it would have been game over. There, it's no contest. It's no contest <laughs> at that point. This group, this group would have fucking rolled through a lot of the conflicts in Percy Jackson and the Olympians. <laughs> like, yeah, the group dynamics are. I honestly feel like, like Jason is a fighter for sure, but he's much less confident. So I think in the end he's almost the most Grover of all of them. Yeah, I can see that. Or maybe, maybe he still is Percy. I would call like, like Leo is maybe the Annabeth in that he's like, he's doing like support, but also can kill someone really like he, he'll, he'll, he'll kill someone like Annabeth will kill someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Piper's the Grover, I guess. Piper's the Grover because she's also a vegetarian. <laughs> exactly. Did we know that before now? I think we must have. Uh, I don't know. I think it might have come up during the flashback to the beach when they were talking about sandwiches. Yeah. That's the only place I can think of. Right, right, yeah. And she she describes her delicious cheese and avocado sandwich, which, Mm -hmm. you know, sounds pretty good. I do not remember the last time I ate an avocado. Really? Wait, no, I do. It was bad. (laughs) You're a bad young person, Jane. You're supposed to love (laughs) avocado toast and such. It's because I had like this this really weird like picture book when I was a kid. Okay. It's about like a baby who constantly ate avocados and therefore like got huge muscles from it. That's fascinating. Just from eating avocados. Uh, so I also wanted to eat avocados and get big muscles, and then thought they were gross. Makes sense. I mean, I think they work best on like a nice toast or like a. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Like a nice, mostly like a good sandwich, I think. Like eggs, meat, avocado. Uh-huh. But putting that entirely aside, though, I think the third element that really makes this fight so good is how it ends. Um, specifically, like, after the fighting has resolved, the way that, like, the way that Piper is so immediately accepting of Leo is really good. Uh, I'm glad That's very that gratifying. we. Yeah, I'm glad that we aren't keeping this secret forever. Um, like we're halfway through the book by this point you want stuff to like this to start rolling out yeah and also it's weird that we're halfway through the book wait are we yes oh my god we are I've got a physical copy in my hand and I hadn't noticed that <laughs> no at the same time like we're, we've like almost done as many episodes as we would for any given like Percy Jackson book that feels very strange yeah, yeah, this is a huge fucking book. So many chapters, so many chapters at the very least. So many words and things happening. Exactly. I do have uh, some questions about the Cyclopes. Mm-hmm. Because I was under the impression that the way this worked was that uh, Poseidon would get busy with, like, a nymph or something, and the result of that would be a Cyclops. I think that was how it was explained in Percy Jackson, but I, I, I guess he hooked up with Margasket. Well, I mean, this is what we've talked about before, and that, like, oh, first of all, very possible, 
very possible. But this is part of the like the conflict of like the delineation of these these guys before, uh, and then we true. know that's true of like the southern Cyclopes, and I think that's true maybe of the elder ones, although not entirely sure on that one. Like the northern ones, who's who knows about them? That's true. I mean, they clearly have zero loyalty to Poseidon because they sided with Kronos during the war. Uh huh. So yeah, it's very possible that that just isn't a factor for them. It's a good callback also to like specifically mark them as being like Hyperborean, because we know the Hyperboreans are like weird cannibal monsters from the north, and so seeing like a like a new category of like stronger Hyperboreans is pretty fun. Oh yeah, they were the dodgeball guys from Sea of Monsters, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lots of Sea of Monsters stuff coming back up. And you think that would be bad, but somehow it's not. Exactly. Now, this this isn't just... These chapters aren't just a fight scene, though. There is a lot of internal angst going on. A lot of it. You want to tell us about some of this, Jane? I would. Um, I, I really like, actually, how it's kind of becoming a running thing in this book that, like, these kids have absolutely no fucking idea how to communicate with one another. Yeah. Because uh, I remember you mentioned last week that it was a little frustrating that Jason won't just, like, sit down and have a conversation with Piper about their relationship. And, like, you're right, that is frustrating. But I also noticed in this one that that's, like, that also applies to, like, some of their other relationships with each other. Like, Jason completely misreads what Leo, uh, like, is wanting to do in the first chapter. Because he thinks that, oh, Leo's quite shaken up, he wants to go and look for Festus on his own. And then we, you know, so he lets him do that. And then we cut to Leo's perspective later and he's like, oh, fuck, they kicked me out because they want to have a private talk and they're freezing me out of this friend group. Yeah. It's like, it feels very realistic to what, like, the social interactions of awkward teenagers are like. Not just that, but also it suits especially well for Jason, who is not part of this friend group. Oh, yeah. Like he he's trying his best to be part of the dynamic and it's like working to an extent but i think you're right that some of this some of this makes so much sense that he is like always misreading how people want him to like do things or like mm-hmm. what people are thinking because he's like only just now learning this he's only learning who these people are and how they feel about things now and that's something that i'm actually i would be really curious as as the series goes on uh to see how he changes and like is he able to respond better like can can he will he just be able to like tell what leo is feeling and wants i do think it's very funny that leo still doesn't believe that jason like doesn't know them (laughs) he still just thinks he has amnesia (laughs) yes yes um like there's a oh wait and that reminds me speaking of related things i guess mm. the most terrifying part of the fight is like the last paragraph of the chapter which is when they realize that monsters are no longer disintegrating and going to tartarus the like their ashes are like reforming afterwards hell is empty hell is no hell hell is empty it's not full but they're all still here they're all still mm. staying here so that's <laughs> yeah. It's a, that's it's, a, bit... it's a nice little escalation of the threat. Exactly. It's a it's a status quo change on a big level, and uh, makes kind of makes me realize like, oh, no wonder they're going to the doors of death if that's coming into play. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, the yeah. Big prophecy. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, uh, like, things that were changing up from Percy Jackson and the Olympians, uh, I think this chapter has a really... These set of chapters, sorry, have a really nice use of God goes to sleep and has a little exposition dream. Yep. Where Piper is like, you know, she falls asleep on Jason, she has a little dream about Enceladus, she wakes up, and she is plummeting through the air at several hundred miles an hour. <laughs> and I think, like... That's that's something that is much easier to get away with in a, like a multi-character perspective book, because it's much easier for the reader to get a handle on like you know stuff must have been going on while Piper was asleep. We have two other active protagonists to follow, so it's a good way of adding tension to like the demigods having exposition dreams, or it's like, okay, this isn't just taking a break from the story. Other stuff can be happening while this is going on. Completely agreed. I think the main time that happened in Percy Jackson was, I would say, like, during the Calypso, the Calypso Island. Oh? Where, oh, like, yeah, because I guess he's per- basically in a coma. Yeah, Percy's just away for a while, and it's very evident that things are going on on the outside. Mm-hmm. And, like, this... It's jarring. It's jarring when you get to the next chapter and suddenly Piper is just like falling through the air and you have no idea why. But I think that completely works with the fact that we are in Piper's point of view and she was just asleep and now she's falling through the air. Like it's I I'm glad that we didn't get like a quick scene of like Piper saw the the Piper saw Leo struggling to contain Festus or that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also just like it's a brilliant cliffhanger. Definitely. Like if we had had to end a set of readings on that, it would have physically hurt me. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, it's like kind of amazing how well the four chapter thing works. Sometimes, like I feel like we've barely ever encountered a moment where it left us on like a really bad cliffhanger. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of any time where it might have done. The problem is that there are also occasions where I've accidentally read too many chapters. This has happened, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to talk about the actual contents of Piper's Dream, though? Uh, Yeah, sure. So, Piper's... The big part of Piper's Dream is her remembering this time when she was... I think it was her dad's old home slash her grandpa's house after her grandpa died mm-hmm. back in Tahlequah in Oklahoma. Uh, Tahlequah, pretty nice place. Uh, I've been there. Uh, and it's uh, just a very, like, uh, I guess, like, evocative scene of, like, a specific, like, oh, this is definitely, like, a big summer's night mood, just, like, staring out on the stars. Mm-hmm. Big summer vibes in this one. And we get to hear sort of, like, I don't know. Piper's dad basically describes how he, like, doesn't want to play... Well, before that, we get a very nice conversation about, like, the stars and, like, just, like, them talking about the stars and their roles in various, like, mythologies. hmm And I, that's, I think that's just nice. Then we get to Piper's dad, and he basically describes why he's, like, the reverse Taylor Lautner. The reverse Taylor Lautner? Can you elaborate on that? I don't know what you mean. Taylor Lautner is, like, you know Taylor Lautner, right? Uh, was he what's his face in the Twilight movies? He played Jacob in Twilight, uh, famously 
Taylor Lautner is a white guy. He describes himself as having Dutch, French, German ancestry and having a distant Native American ancestry, which is, I think, one of the whitest things I've ever heard. (laughs) Uh, But he is most famous for his role as, like, uh, Jacob from Twilight, who is a Native guy. And... Fuck. (laughs) So he kind of describes why he's, like, basically will not take any roles where he is asked to play a Native American, uh, Piper's dad. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I, I really, I can respect that. He lays out a decent set of reasons for that. Uh, I do think it's extremely funny that these chapters make it canonical, uh, that it's his fault that Johnny Depp played Tonto in the Lone Ranger reboot. Holy fuck. I didn't even connect that. <laughs> he specifically says that he was offered that role and turned it down. I, yeah, I, I straight, God. Oh my god, I forgot all, all I forgot entirely about that. Was that out by that point? Was that the is it the same one? I think it was. This was like what, 2011? I think so. I think it was out. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> That's Oh wait, no, this is a 2013 movie, I believe. Was it? Wait, no. No, it was not. This is a... Oh, yes, it was a 2013 movie, Jane. Oh. But the implications are there. Wait, when did this come out? Let me 2010 but it but it was also published by hyperion books and imprint of disney book group so maybe maybe rick had some insider knowledge on this it's very possible uh jesus christ they got army hammer to play the lone ranger too what a great cast great cast who've never done anything wrong either of them. blood drinking man is that him is that uh-huh. I thinking of the right one do, and do we have to say fuck johnny depp i mean like we the, the people assume it right i would i would hope so Okay. Also, fuck Johnny Depp. I just I want to say it for my own for my own soul. Uh, Yeah. So this is kind of interesting, like specifically in how it relates to like Piper. The parallels there of like, oh, he only plays people who aren't like him. I wish I could. Like, it's interesting that Piper, like you said, she doesn't wish to not have to do that. She wishes that she was better at it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a meaningful distinction. Yeah, it, th- these chapters do a really good job of showing, like, Piper struggling with all this, like, with, like, the fact that he's going to have to betray these people. It, like, because th- this book is a very familiar Percy Jackson formula, where it is just the three good friends go on a road trip to fight a uh, big bad at the end. Uh-huh. But knowing that Piper is going to have to do this at some point, like, it gives everything such a, like, bittersweet tinge. Yeah. Where, like... Every time that they bond and grow closer, it's sweet, but you kind of don't want it to happen because it's going to make it hurt more when Piper turns on them. And the way this book is structured really lends to that, because this would be an entirely different story if we only got this through Jason's point of view. Mm-hmm. We would get like these very light hints that something is bothering Piper, that like, Leo is troubled by something, and... Well, first of all, I think, I think the the chapter where they just sit on the dragon and tell everything that the reader has already heard to each other would make a lot more sense if it was only through Jason's point of view. Uh-huh. Uh But also, like the reveal, the the reveal eventually where they're just like, "Wait, why are we here?" This is me theorizing as to what's going to happen. But like, instead of us seeing Piper and like ha- seeing her guide them the wrong way, having that just like happen suddenly and having the very like like the twist 
of, oh, Piper's been misleading us, that would play a lot differently than it does now that we have her point of view. Like, she, she's telegraphing it so much that I think if this was only from Jason's perspective, it would just be like a redo of Walt from Kane Chronicles, where something was so obviously up and it was very easy to suss out what it was, but the characters never figured it out. So I like that in this case we've just like cut out the middleman and we just know what Piper's deal is and it's being used to add tension to the plot. Yeah. A Walt from Kane Chronicles, or if it did work better, it would just feel like a Luke again. Oh god, yeah. Uh, it's interesting that Piper is actually really quick to believe that Jason could be their enemy also, and I think that's entirely because of her own shit that's going on. Yeah, I guess she is kind of like... As much as she likes these people, she's hardwired to view them as a potential threat to her. Yeah, like, she loves... She has a part of her that loves Jason. And she, like, obviously cares a lot for Leo as well. And she sees them as her friends, but also she's making these mental connections of, like, okay, well, I want to be able to not... I want to be able to make this choice easily, like, she's, she hasn't been like, okay, I'm not going to make this choice. She is purely just like, how can I make this choice and not, like, feel, like, horrible about it after? How can I live my, with myself mm. after this? Yeah. And so her being like, okay, well, you know, he seems to have something to do with Roman gods. And I know that, like, Roman and Greek stuff doesn't get along. So it would actually make a lot of sense if he was an enemy, just like I am. Like, that... That actually, I think, is a great little characterization bit, even though it's like a sentence. Yeah, I hadn't really read it that way, but that makes a lot of sense now when you lay it out like that. That she is trying to like rationalize it in that way. Yeah. And also, like, speaking of that, like just after that section when they're crashing at the warehouse, the part where like two times in quick succession, Piper almost tells like Leo and Jason what's going on, is like it's genuinely agonizing. Yeah. Because there is just, like, in, in the reader, there's this conflicting thing of, like, you don't want her to say anything because it's going to possibly fuck everything up. But also, the longer she leaves it and the longer she doesn't say anything, the worse it's going to be when it happens. And it's just, it's very juicy. It's very good stuff. Incredibly. Uh, Leo, back to Leo for a second. Mm-hmm. He does actually end up seeing... Uh, the the sleeping woman the fake Tia Kaida here again face appearing as a hologram in a puddle of piss aha uh-huh. okay that <laughs> this is who you meant by the piss woman i see yes <laughs> okay i was kind of confused but i i thought i got it uh yeah she is <laughs> there's a specific like thing she's has she, there's not a lot of new information but she basically tells Leo, like, you're the most important of the seven. Like, without you, they could not function. And what like, what do we think of this? I mean, so far, that is just objectively true. Yeah. I mean, Leo secured them the ride that they needed to do this quest. So, I mean, I'd say she's onto something there. Yeah, that's true. I, I question it a little bit. Only because, like, if there are seven people named in the prophecy surely each and every one of them is equally as important as each other mm-hmm. like we're not gonna get like oh the seven the seven demigods are like there's uh, uh, there's jason there's 
Leo, there's Piper, there's fucking, I don't know, Percy and Annabeth, there's, and also there's Kevin. And also one of the Stoller brothers from Camp Half-Blood. One of the Stoller, like, it, <laughs> it's not gonna be like that, no. <laughs> Who do we think the other demigods are gonna be? Uh, I mean, surely Percy and Annabeth, right? Like, those are have to be two to of them. I have to imagine. Who are the last two? Uh, I'm gonna put my money on Nico. I feel like Nico's coming back. I, I would agree. Uh, so what about the last one is the I guess the big question. Stole brother, I'm telling you. It's Connor <laughs> Stole. Team Stole. It's it's got to be Connor Stole. Uh hmm. I mean, oh for a second I was like, "Oh, it's going to be Luke, but I forgot he died." Uh, <laughs> be a hell of a twist. I guess maybe maybe Thalia, but Clarice. she seems too Oh, Cl- that's the dream <sighs> scenario. Yeah, she's not important enough is the problem. Uh, don't say no, these things. I mean, I love her, but she's just not she uh, has never gotten a, you know. You remember when we thought Last Olympian might have been like a Percy Clarice Nico book? Yeah. <laughs> Man. <laughs> the fucking dream. Yeah. I think that if if that had been the case, that would have secured her a spot in the seven. Yeah, probably. No, it's all right. She's off having her own spin-off adventures. She's like searching for Percy, right? Oh yeah, I guess she must be. Um, and Thalia, it doesn't feel like it could be Thalia either, because, like, I don't know, she's, uh, I mean, I guess it could be, but she feels so removed from everything now, being a hunter. It kind of feels like the the story is done with Thalia, and not in a way like, oh, we don't know what to do with her, but in a, like, no, we, Thalia did everything she needed to do and then got shuffled off to do something, basically as a retirement. Although I guess she could come back as she needs to, because like she's related to Jason, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I think you're the one who actually argued for that last time, is that she needs to show up again, or else it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But will she be one of the seven? I don't know. Maybe it'll be an entirely new character. That could be, yeah. Actually, wait, going back to the first mother. Uh-huh. I think it's really interesting that um, she's like... She's talking to Leo. First of all, she says, you know, stick with them if you want to stop me, but also don't go anywhere near them, you'll die. And she's sending weirdly mixed messages, and I want to know what the deal with that is. But also, um, she's she's talking about her son rising as a result of this book, uh, and that's Porphyrion, not Enceladus, the guy who's blackmailing at, uh, uh, Piper. Yeah. So... What I'm really hoping for here is that we've got, like, different factions of giants all doing, like, their own thing and enacting their own plans. That's super possible. I mean, I don't see anything so far that doesn't, like, indicate they're just working together. I guess it's more a case of, like, why wouldn't they be, like, I don't know, using uh, Leo and Piper both as, like, sleeper agents or something? Right. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, this... This is the least... Everyone on this team has some different agenda. Mm-hmm. Like, we've talked about this before. Everyone is compromised in some way. Like, this is like fucking Young Justice all over again. <laughs> like, they're all gonna show up in the island. Lex Luthor's gonna be there. They're never gonna use the Red Sun code phrase again. I'm still mad about that. No. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, so I would be interested if this was a big factions game, because like we got not a ton of that with the Titans. There was a little bit of Prometheus being kind of a slimy fuck. 
but uh-huh. we didn't, it didn't play a huge role in the plot. Yeah, and Calypso was a titan, but she didn't have, like, her own agenda necessarily. She just yeah. wanted to live her life. Yeah, she was just kind of vibing on an island. Maybe, yeah. So I'm, yeah, curious where that goes for sure. And, you know, uh, I mean, there was the very deep uh, different factions we had in the world of King Chronicles. Oh, wait. They all work for <laughs> Apophis, I guess. Oh, God. I I wish that series was better. <laughs> Me too. I really, yeah, I don't know. You know... It's wild how fast Kyanie got her revenge. It does kind of seem like that's just what happened. Like, no, I, I'm a hundred percent feel like this is what happened because I, I'm used to these kinds of things being like in you know in the last chapter of the book or whatever. Like the one, the heroes will be foiled by a character who earlier said they would get their revenge. This is what happened with like. Ares putting his curse on Percy. Yeah, that took that ex- two books to pay off. Yeah. Like, this happened a few times, actually. And it tends to take a while. And this just was like, oh, the next two chapters from now, it'll happen. I guess it's like she just figures they're not that important. There won't be a climactic showdown moment. So she's going to fuck them over immediately. Fair. Like, no, she's smart for doing it. They're not super well equipped and like they haven't gotten any like big god boosts along the way. Mm-hmm. So might as well take them out immediately. It'd be really funny if she just like kept doing it though. <laughs> like every fourth chapter was the was fastest cra- crash landing in a different place. <laughs> she keeps trying to do it even when they're in warm climates and it just kind of doesn't work. They just have to like, occasionally like drain the water out of Festus's head. The control disc gets just gets just a little wet. <laughs> uh, I I I have something that I would like to be true, but I'm pretty sure it won't be. What's that? I think it would be kind of fucked up and cool. Yeah. Uh, which is that later down the line, I want Jason to start having like memories of like a best friend from his previous life, because like we we hear about other people running around speaking Latin in purple t-shirts. Oh yeah, uh, that's that's a really good point. Start thinking about and remembering that person, uh, and then it later turns out that uh, that person was eaten by Margasket while looking for Jason because he'd gone missing. That'd be interesting because, like, I I super agree because like Jason is also wearing a purple shirt and has something to do with like Roman stuff, uh, and so there are lots of mysterious characters wearing purple shirts and talking about Roman stuff. Uh, the son of Mercury, Jason, you. <laughs> this is true this is true uh no m- maybe one day you'll understand it all but <laughs> like first of all first of all this the son of mercury that is talked about very much like every other son of like seems exactly like every single other like son of hermes that we know about mm-hmm. uh because his excuse to the monsters to try and get them to not eat him is like i'm on medication i won't taste good <laughs> Which is fucking hilarious. It's just it, in a, in a slightly fucked up way. That does just kind of seem like something a, a kid would say because that's like that's how you get out of gym class or something. Yeah, yeah. No, you're like in like oh, this is something I've seen in cartoons before. Except it didn't work, and he fucking died. Yeah, it's very grim. It's very sad. And I think you're right. I want him to have like a past best friend. Like a former girlfriend, maybe even like, 
I wouldn't hate it if like they find out that he used to have his own like jokester best friend and like <laughs> uh, like mischievous girlfriend like like exact counterparts to these two. Um, They're both like the, kids of Venus and Vulcan. Something like that. Yeah, I think that would be fucking hilarious and would also be really good relationship drama. Like this would just be good character drama stuff. That would be incredibly good. I kind of I'm I'm at the stage now where I want to see a demigod like eat too much ambrosia and get set on fire. Because we keep hearing about it. We keep hearing about it, and it's even like the they they set Piper's leg instead of feeding her more of it because they're saying, oh no, the consequences of using this could be dire. And that's been coming up for six books now. I think it's time to pull the trigger on that. <laughs> you want to see someone's brains melt out of their ears. <laughs> I'm just like, saying, if it keeps being threatened and it keeps not happening, eventually it's going to lose its punch. No, but the thing is here is that after they set her leg, she drinks more ambrosia. Yeah, she just, like, chugs some more of it and she's fine. I guess, like, I guess maybe it's one of those things where you always, like, overplay how big of a threat it is because, like, you don't want anyone to drink even close to too much. Mm-hmm. Like, so you always just have them only drink a little bit, even though they could drink more. But you're right in that, like, this is a, a quote-unquote threat to the characters in a sense. And it's basically, like, there's never been a choice of, like, oh, but if we keep feeding you ambrosia, you'll die. No, I have to be in this fight just a little bit longer. Give me the ambrosia. I'll last it out. Like, that would be kind of... That's kind of what I thought was happening here, where they were like, oh, we're going to have to take the tough decision to leave Piper, like, limping and not able to walk properly because we can't give her any more of this. Yeah. And then it just kind of doesn't do that. Yeah, it's weird. It's... Uh, maybe this will come back up and be better later, but maybe so. this will be Piper's ambrosia addiction. I'm looking forward to the, um, like, the Battle of the Labyrinth-style chapter where, like, Leo ends up on a deserted island somewhere. Uh-huh. And he has to subsist entirely on breath mints, breath mints from his tool belt. They said breast milk for a second. <laughs> You're reading too many Bree's tweets. I am. Shout out to Bree. God, that view. No, the tool belt is awesome. It's very like, like it's a concept that I've seen a million times before, but I still love it. I think just it's like, very fun that it is just like it is like. Batman's tool belt is like a sonic screwdriver except it's like justified in the narrative why it can do whatever the plot requires it to basically yeah and like you know it has its limits it can't produce anything magical it can't like get anything too big but otherwise it is just an incredibly convenient thing which like makes perfect sense as an item to give Leo because like you don't want him to be just carrying around like a real tool belt all the time Mm -hmm. Like, or, like, have to, like, lug around, like, a trunk of tools. That's too much. And I think it is also very characterful that, like, he, he like, mentions his internal monologue. He knows that you can't get, like, huge things or magic things from it. Because yeah. the first two things he tried to use it for was to get a chainsaw and a copy of Leo's we- of Jason's weapon. Honestly, I would do the exact same thing. Oh, 100%. Like, like I want that sword. It's so cool. <laughs> I will never stop talking about this. It's a very cool weapon. Leo would not have done good with Clip, so I don't think she would have taken a shine to him the same way. No, I think he would make, like, like, shitty, inappropriate jokes about how long she's been stuck here. And she would just, like, kick him off the island. (laughs) (laughs) He'd He'd have to find another, like, fair nymph to take him in. 
No, I think it would just be like, um, what's his face? I think it's Hephaestus, even. Shows up on the boat, and she's just, like, waiting there with Leo and just, like, plonks him in the boat. (laughs) God, that's really good. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's all I have to say for these chapters for today. My last thing is also related to the tool belt. Okay. Which is, do you think it is, like, generating these items? Or is this, like, the penguin situation where they're actually getting, like, teleported in from elsewhere? I... Because if so, it, it would explain, like, a million workshops around the world, like, losing knickknacks and tools and stuff. Because Leo was just ma- stealing them through his belt. <laughs> I think it makes more sense that they're being generated with how, like, godly magic seems to work. That's true. Um, like, I think, like, Kane Chronicles, uh, Egyptian magic seems to work more like, you take something that already exists. Mm-hmm. So I would guess they're being generated, but I do think your idea is very funny. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's everything. It'd be so the horrifying reality of like, oh, I need a jack to like lift up this car or something like that. <laughs> and then some poor mechanic gets crushed. Uh, I'm going on this date. I'm really nervous. I need my breath mints. <laughs> oh, no. oh, God. Well, yeah, I think that's the absolutely everything. horrifying experience of your breast milk being stolen in real time. <laughs> Oh, those poor babies. <laughs> anyway, I think that's it for us today. I think Thank so. You. Uh, if you'd like to reach the show, you can check us out on twitter.com slash unwisegirls. There you can find links to our Discord, our uh, personal Twitters, our Patreon. We're very generously hosted by the Moonshot Network. You can yeah. find all sorts of wonderful shows there. Uh, and they recently finished up their moon landing stream, which is a three-day event that raised i believe it was like over seven thousand dollars yeah for a couple, a couple of grand at least yeah seven thousand i think it was oh my god I mean, at any rate it was a huge amount of money for trans lifeline which is very cool we'll find out exactly how much money now seven thousand three hundred and twenty dollars fucking hell yeah that's 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 amazing uh, great work. Yeah. Our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. If you'd like to support us, you can leave a five star rating and review on your podcast platform of choice or go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls. There, for a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. Uh, for $3 a month, you get uh, the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus as well as all of our bonus content. Yep, yeah, uh, we uh, said last week that we were going to put the bonus stuff on a bit of a hiatus. Uh, we changed our minds, but it's back on. <laughs> yeah, but also do still keep an eye out for our uh, a, a new a new project we're working on. It's yeah. going to be great. But yeah, if you like to listen to us yell about Batman and Homestuck and stuff like that, that's t- that tends to be where we do that. And for five dollars a month, you get the Discord role of Venus's Chosen all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of episodes. Uh, speaking of which, this week, we'd like to thank uh, Mercy, Veronica Friend, Erica, and special shout-out to our newest uh, Venus's Chosen tier patron, Tana. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you. And, as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye.